This BYU devotional address with Kevin Utt was given on August 1st, 2023. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome to this morning's devotional. We are pleased to have Kevin W. Utt, director of the BYU Honor Code Office, as our speaker today. We extend a special welcome to his wife, Toby Ayer, and their family members and friends who are joining us today. Kevin has served as the director of the BYU Honor Code Office since January of 2019. He earned a bachelor's degree from Hanover College and a master's degree in higher education and student affairs administration from Indiana University. Prior to coming to BYU in 2018, Kevin worked in administration at various universities across the Midwest. Kevin enjoys exploring the mountains in the area and tinkering with projects around his home. He loves to ride his bike, and in a typical week, he will put in more miles on his bike than on his car. Kevin and his wife, Tobier, have been married for 19 years, and they are the parents of four children. We will now turn the time over to Kevin W. Utt. Many years ago, I was serving in the young men's organization in my ward. I attended an Eagle Scout Court of Honor in my church building. I was there a few minutes early, and I sat down on the stage a few rows back. My bishop was sitting alone in his regular spot on the front row. He turned back and smiled and invited me to sit in the seat next to him. His emphasis in the invitation wasn't so much that he would not be sitting alone, but that I would sit in that particular seat. I bantered with him that I would be happy to sit next to him, but not in that particular seat, because that was a seat for a bishopric counselor. I recall saying, I'm not saying that I won't sit in that seat eventually, maybe, but definitely not right now. He chuckled waved away my comment and directed me again to sit. I did not know, but found out a couple weeks later that he had already submitted my name to the stake for a new church calling, and I would occupy that seat for many months. That experience taught me a valuable lesson. We choose to provide our time, talents, and all with which God has blessed us to build up the kingdom of God and the church and everything around us. The, the effect of that choice does not wait for when it is convenient or when we feel capable. President Nelson reflected, have you not learned that strength comes to an ordinary soul when given an extraordinary calling? As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have each had and will have regular opportunities throughout our lives to answer calls to serve in a myriad of ways that we myopically never thought within our capacity to accomplish. And yet, following that assignment, we are strengthened and our capacity increased. The, prophet, the President Russell M. Nelson said, There is nothing happening on this earth right now that is more important than gathering Israel. There is nothing of greater consequence, absolutely nothing. This gathering should mean everything to you. This is the mission for which you were sent to this earth. And any time we do anything that helps anyone on either side of the veil to make and keep covenants with God, we're helping to gather Israel. Such powerful and concise statements by our prophet. To gather implies a need to interact with others. We are not on a solo sojourn. Since our first day on this earth, God has organized us into communities where we learn more about Him and become more like Him. We live and serve in the kingdom of God on earth, which prepares us to further serve when we are no longer limited by the veil. Today, I would like to discuss three communities of which each of us is a part, a family, a religious community, and BYU. 
I intend to connect our roles in these communities to President Nelson's explanation for how we participate in gathering Israel. First, family. The family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of His children. The purpose of a family is to create a safe, stable, and loving environment where husband and wife can support each other and strengthen each other where children can learn, grow, and develop. God organizes us into families so we can experience happiness and learn patience and selflessness. These traits help us become more like God and prepare us to live happily as families throughout our lives. Family life is perhaps most significant for children. It is in the home that children learn to love others, show compassion, build trust, and express loyalty. This, skill, this list of skills and attributes serve as a foundation of living in a godly society. Patience, selflessness, love, compassion, trust, and loyalty. We often learn that if we pray for, say, more patience, we aren't blessed with a peaceful environment where, where patience abounds. Rather, we are given circumstances that are so intense that choosing patience is the only viable option forward as we push to, to more further, as we are pushed more further than we ever thought we had the capacity. So we are given family. These are the traits that help us become more like God and prepare us for our duties in the eternities. How I demonstrate these attributes in my family changes over time as well. Our relationships evolve over the course of the, our decades on this earth. My capacity and the manner in which I demonstrate compassion to my siblings and parents when I was six is different than when I was 20 or 40 and into the decades that await me. As my family expands to include a spouse, children, and in-laws, I learn more about the nature of God and I have the opportunity to become more like Him. Elder Uchtdorf taught in April 2023 conference that the nourishing daily bread is best served at home. Here, we strive to provide environments of love, patience, and belonging. Just as plants do not flourish so they are given short, intense, and sudden bursts of sunshine or water, healthy growth in family relationships relies on frequent, steady, and consistent care. I have been given a stewardship on this earth to care specifically for four of God's children. When I act with short-sightedness, I can try again. There's much joy and much struggle in this learning environment. As I strive to create a gospel-centered home, I find that more joy abounds and difficult, and difficult circumstances feel like less of a struggle. Our second community is our religious community. So much of our worship and ritual is tied to people. Gathering in this community is more than being physically present. We must participate regularly in church services as an introductory point to becoming more fully immersed in our religious communities. Now, it is easy in our, modern, in our modern societies to segment our lives into different parts, each with its own independent purpose. Researcher Asim Sharif, who studies the morality and development of societies, explained that for thousands of years, people lived in small clans consisting mostly of families. As communities developed beyond family clans and the economies began to develop financial systems, strangers began to interact in new ways. Not being sure of who to trust, Religious communities provide a structure and common belief foundations. I may not know this person, but I know we worship the same God, we read the same religious texts, and we use them to guide our decision-making. This became enough for people to trust each other in complex agreements. Over time, as societies installed governments, banking systems, and judicial systems, reliance on religious commonalities decreased. Dr. Sharif's findings ring true to me. When I applied for a home mortgage loan, the bank did not look at my religious observance or my reputation in the community. They looked at my credit score and documented the record on paying bills. 
Now, I do not believe we should return to these former practices entirely, as they may create unintentional instances of bias or exclusion. However, in the light of gathering Israel, I do believe we should be exemplary in demonstrating the influence of the gospel in each of our actions. We should be honest, be respectful, and be peacemakers in every interaction. We should share with, the, with others why we have chosen to form these habits and incorporate the words of our prophets into our daily lives. While I may not rely as heavily on my religious community as in days gone by, I still feel the same confidence and connection with those inter interacting with those of my faith. When I've traveled to distant places and everything looks and feels unfamiliar, I see a church, a BYU hat, or other symbol, and I know these people in these places understand me. I know we have a common understanding of the world. We follow the same prophet. We have made the same covenants. We use the same teachings to guide our lives. A few months ago, I had an experience which I became very aware of my reliance on my religious community. I went through a very difficult moment with my family. The kind of moment that makes grief and worry so palpable that it's hard to breathe. Each of your five senses is focused only on this one thing and it encompasses your life. I felt isolated, alone, and guilty. When the ground below your feet suddenly shifts and it's easy to hold still and close in because it feels secure. Oddly, that instinct also contradicts and undermines our nature to be in community. So to this experience, I had only been, it had only been a few days and things were far from settled. Sunday morning arrived and I had to decide if I was going to church. Emotions came in as the tide. I knew waves would roll in, but I could not anticipate their size or impact. I had never experienced these kinds of waves and I could not forecast the size of any swell. Would I be fine? Would I tear up? Or would I sob openly and ugly? Then an email came through. My kind bishopric sent me a Zoom link. I could sit at home and attend sacrament meeting remotely. And my first thought was, oh, that takes care of it. Issue resolved. My second thought was community. What is best for my soul is to gather. What my family needs is to gather. So I arrived at church and I thought, okay, get ready, for, get ready for the hymn. That might be the moment. Or maybe it'll be the prayer or the sacrament or come with the testimonies. That's when this wave will roll in. But I didn't make it that far. Taking my seat, I looked around the chapel full of people who had chosen to gather in order to worship, looking forward to yoking themselves to the Savior through renewing a covenant. With the Spirit of God connecting us, I relaxed. The person conducting said, good morning. And that was it for me. Here I was again, overwhelmed with emotion. Within my religious community, as each member of my family began sharing with others, each of us received help. When I began to share, I quickly learned that many people had personal experiences that had provided perspective and resources. Each person in my family talked about their experience with those that they were close to, and the safety net in this community of saints quickly opened. Intense feelings of grief and worry were replaced with comfort and peace. Isolation gave way to unity. Feelings of meekness and patience overtook guilt. The shifting of ground was, the shifting ground was strengthened by temperance and faith. The reality of the situation was very, still very tangible and nowhere near resolution, but the Holy Spirit through others ministered to me. We are meant to worship collectively, and I invite anyone who has found it difficult, whether due to past experiences, other commitments, or other priorities, to commit yourself to participating regularly in church services. Engage in this community of saints, worship, serve, and be social. 
Each of these elements assists us in ministering to, the, to our own needs as well as to the needs of others. Our third community is the BYU community, the community that brings us together today. Unlike the previous two where we are part of these communities only for a, for a very short, for our, throughout our entire mortal lives and maybe even into eternity, our formal participation in the BYU community is only meant to be for a period of time and for an intensive learning in a stimulating setting. For many, this period, this period will only last for a few years, and for others, it might span a professional career covering many decades. In this educational community, we study and teach in an environment enlightened by living prophets and sustained by the moral virtues which characterize the life and teachings of the Son of God. We then take what we have learned and use it to build up the kingdom of God as we move forward into the world. There are many communities in this kingdom that need your influence. For BYU to be successful in this unique purpose, we need to create a unique atmosphere. Many institutions will communicate their standards for this atmosphere as behaviors that should be avoided. By avoiding the negative, individuals are then free to engage in their own education without undue interference. For example, one should not steal, one should not physically harm another, or one should not harass another. An environment free of harassment is thus sufficient for the student to engage in their educational pursuits. BYU has a different approach. President Oaks, when speaking at a devotional last year, affirmed a statement made by President Nelson in 2018. He said, you are to be a light to the world. Therefore, th therefore the Lord needs you to be like, I'm sorry, needs you to look like, sound like, act like, and dress like a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Yes, you are living in the world, but you have very different standards from the world. Our leaders have described, it, have described the atmosphere that is needed for us to achieve this high ideal of this institution. We are not only to avoid negative behaviors, but we, are proactively, but we, are, we should proactively strive to be honest, act with virtue, be respectful in action and word, abstain from the consumption of alcohol and drugs, immerse ourselves in the religious communities, maintain dress standards that are neat, clean, and modest, and encourage others as they move forward along this path. It is on this last principle of encouragement that I wish to focus the remainder of my time. Researchers have been commenting on the current envir environment of higher education. Encouragement is now often overshadowed by competition. The narrative goes something like this. The job markets have shifted and the cost of living has dramatically increased. If I don't get a job, I will not be able to take care of myself or provide for my family. I need to be a insert career here. I must major in. I must attend this specific university which only admits a small percentage of applicants. Therefore, I must, I must have a perfect application full of perfect test scores and perfect activities. And if I don't make it, if I don't beat out everyone else for this seat at this college and in this major, I will not be successful. This approach to education and life generally can fill us with anxiety and lead to a sense that perfection is the only way to win the lottery of life success. God has taught us a different way. In God's kingdom, there is sufficient for all. The Lord does not compare us. The purpose of a BYU education is to learn how to gather Israel, to create a sense of belonging, to build up and strengthen each of the communities of which we'll be a part throughout our lives, not to become a specific career. I invite you to be cautious in creating a single path to success in this life or a single career possibility, for there are many ways to fulfill God's intents. Success in your life is not tied to your major or your career. Consider the lilies and how they grow. They toil not, nor do they spin. 
For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In our Zion community, we engage in this type of intensive learning in, a study, in our study and development of our whole selves. We encourage others, not compete with others. Educators, including all faculty and staff, must learn to foster this atmosphere in a reality of limited enrollment and opportunity within each program or activity. Creating this atmosphere is a difficult proposition with no specific blueprint. We do know, however, some of the elements that are needed to form this strong foundation. First, regular temple attendance. It is no coincidence that a temple is located adjacent to this campus. In the dedicatory prayer of the Provo, Utah Temple, President Joseph Fielding Smith connected the learning at BYU and the temple. And then he said, let thy lightning enlightening power rest upon those who teach and those who are taught, that they may seek learning even by study and also by faith, that they may be instructed more perfectly in theory, in principle, in doctrine, and in the law of the gospel, and in all things pertaining to the kingdom of God. As we maintain an educational culture in this enlightened environment, we strive to create an atmosphere free of contention. We strive to create an atmosphere in which each person can develop a personal relationship with God, understanding one's value in his sight, understanding one's role in mortality from his perspective, and with a focus on developing gifts to serve in his kingdom. We do not need a specific career. In fact, I believe we limit God when we say, I must be this to be useful in this life. There is space for each person in his kingdom. So develop the gifts that resonate with your inner inclinations. This is where you will find purpose. Looking back at the early years in my life, I would be asked, what career do you want? What interests you? And I had many answers that changed over time. I can tell you one job that, didn't, that never came to mind was director of the honor code office. I have found that I thoroughly enjoy working in an atmosphere and an environment that exists on a college campus. In undergrad, I really enjoyed my gen eds. Learning a little bit over the breadth of all areas of study, I love learning about the life from different perspectives of history, biology, psychology, physics, and literature. I needed an English, an English credit, and a medieval lit class fit my schedule. I knew nothing about Chaucer or Beowulf. And honestly, the class did not un uncover any deep love or new path in my life either. But I spent time with a professor who loves this topic, and his enthusiasm and understanding unlocked this area of study for me and, en and en enriched my life. I recall during my, during my college years, my friends and I would often be preoccupied in determining if an inclination was a whisper from the spirit or was it a personal desire. In determining a major or for which job to apply, we would often consider, is this my decision or more my decision or is this more God's specific direction? I have come to believe that, we learn, that as we learn to let God prevail in our lives, there becomes little separation between our choices and his will. We decide to follow the Spirit, which leads us to do good. We choose a path that leads to deeper discipleship of Jesus Christ. When a choice between two good options arises, we pray to be instruments in God's hands wherever that path leads us. Then we act. We decide to walk down a path and enjoy the opportunities and perspectives that, that come with that decision and not with the consideration of what might have been. Did I become a psychology major because, I wanted, because God wanted me to? Or did I find my way to an area of study that resonated inside of me? And then God used the effects of that decision to meet the needs of his kingdom. The job that introduced me to my current career was working as a resident assistant. Did God specifically direct me to that job at that time and at that school? 
Or did I make a choice to do something that felt interesting to me that may not be interesting to another person and then God used me where I decided to stand? I love working on college campuses. I love the energy of watching first-year students in their first few days on campus exhibiting confidence while also nervousness and excitement. I love seeing students during finals week when they are exhausted, knowing how much they have struggled and sacrificed. I also love the sense of relief and accomplishment I observe as they walk out of that last final exam for the week. I love attending poster presentations where students share complex phenomena they have only recently learned. They use sophisticated phrases and models to describe something they did not that they now comprehend they didn't even know existed the month prior. I equally love listening to a professor who's been studying that same phenomenon throughout their entire career. And I see that concept in its beautiful simplicity. I absolutely enjoy participating in graduation ceremonies where the entire community celebrates the achievements of the students. Observing learning and growth is joyful to me. I'm grateful to have a career working on a college campus and all that comes with being a part of this type of community, especially at BYU where the full realization of the human potential is pursued. In the BYU community, I think it is appropriate to apply the body of Christ metaphor that Paul described in 1 Corinthians 12. Each person in this BYU community has a role. To the students, to engage in an educational endeavor that develops one's faith, intellect, character, and a desire to continue to learn and serve throughout their lives. To the faculty, to teach subject matter bathed in the light and color of the restored gospel. To another, it is given to prepare the physical and virtual learning environments. To another, to provide the nourishment the body needs to learn. To another, oversee extracurricular activities that lead to the balanced development of the total person. And to another, oversee the living spaces for students as they acclimate into this community. To another, to coordinate the, and the people and the day-to-day -day tasks this university relies on to a function. To another, assist students in addressing their health, whether financial, mental, or physical. And to another, facilitate internships, study abroad, or other inspiring learning opportunities. And now to the scriptures. But now hath God set the members of every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. They are many members, yet one body. God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And I'd, add, now, and I'd emphasize the need to encourage others no matter our role, Verse 26, and whether our members and, when, and whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. I am grateful to be a member of this community where each person strives to, to fulfill their role while also exhibiting patience and support for others. I feel every day that we work and study in a university environment enlightened by living prophets and sustained by the moral virtues which characterize the life and teachings of the Son of God. We have each had wonderful opportunities to help gather Israel and the many communities for which we are a part. And at a circle back to President Nelson's question, have you not learned that strength comes to an ordinary soul when given an extraordinary calling? While we cannot know all the ways that God will use us to build up his kingdom, I am confident that as we anxiously seek to apply what we have learned at BYU to gather Israel, we will experience an overriding sense of peace that will abide with us throughout our quest toward eternal life. I'm grateful to work at BYU and to be here with you all today. Thank you for joining me in this time of our community. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.
This BYU devotional address with Kevin Utt was given on August 1st, 2023. BYU Devotionals are a production of BYU Broadcasting.